The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. If you've been here at the Inn, you know that this September we've been going through a short series, three-week series, um, looking at the Trinity, um, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, um, also referred to as the Father and the Son and the Spirit, or another way of thinking it is the functions that the Trinity has, which is the creator, redeemer, sustainer. Um, so our God is one, but our God is three in one. And I actually have a diagram that kind of gives us a demonstration of what the Trinity is. So we have God and the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and how they're kind of um, together, three in one. And that is totally clear, right? That makes perfect sense. Right. All right. Well, the Trinity is incredibly simple and ridiculously confusing all at the same time. Um, but our hope is, with talking about the Trinity, is that it would help us understand God better. And I I love the fact that there are things in our faith that are complicated that we're like, I don't I don't know how to understand three, how something can be three and one at the same time. But we, we talk about the Trinity so we can know how God, how the three persons of the Trinity interact with us, how, um, how they have different roles they play in our lives. And also, the Trinity is a picture for us of perfect community. Amongst the Trinity, you have perfect love, you have unending grace, you have trust and faith, um, you have no jealousy or selfishness or self-seeking amongst the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we kind of aspire to. It's what we long for in Christian community. So we started a couple weeks ago. Ryan started by looking at um, God, God the Father, who chose not only to create us, but also to make a covenant with us that we would be blessed by God to be a blessing to this world. And we have the wonderful gift of scripture that tells us how terrible we are at holding up our end of the covenant. The other thing that scripture tells us is that God doesn't give up on us. Even though we um, have a hard time with the covenant, God continues to love us and ends up holding up our end of the covenant as well. And then last week, Dwayne Morris, the guy who teaches our apologetics classes, um, talked about Jesus, the son, and why we can believe Jesus is who he says he is, um, that we can, we can trust that what he says is true. To, paraphr- to paraphrase what Jesus says, that he is God's rescue mission for the world. And Jesus experienced life as we do. Jesus saves us and makes us righteous for this covenant that we have with God, the role of, of Jesus. So tonight, we're going to take a deep dive into the Holy Spirit. I should say it that way every time, right? The Holy Spirit, it's mysterious. And I think the most misunderstood and misrepresented member of the Trinity. Some theologians describe the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. And by that, I don't mean timid, a wallflower, but that the shyness of the, of the Holy Spirit is, is humility. The goal of the Holy Spirit actually, is actually to put attention on another. That's the, the role of, of the Holy Spirit. So I think that's a big misperception that we have of who the Holy Spirit is 
and the role the Holy Spirit plays in our faith today is that if the Holy Spirit is present in a place, then man, it is a rock concert, right? Everybody's going to be moved. There's going to be emotion. There's going to, you're going to feel something. You're going to be knocked over. That's how you know the Holy Spirit is present. And we think we have to do something. We have to get our lives right somehow so we can be filled up with the Holy Spirit to be present in us. And actually, the opposite is true. Boom, right? That's my mic drop moment. Try and be more dramatic. Boom! The opposite is true. And that's what we're actually going to dig into tonight. Who is the Holy Spirit? How are we supposed to understand the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this world? Um, So we're going to start by taking a look at Jesus' baptism in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. What happens at this moment? Um, I think we have the scripture on the screen, maybe? I have it up here, though. I have a Bible, so it's okay. All right, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is 17, but I'm going to read it as well. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So what's the first thing we notice about the Holy Spirit here? He comes like a dove. He doesn't come like a roaring lion or a screaming eagle or a stampeding elephant. Comes like a dove. What do you think of when you think of of doves? I think of magicians and weddings, right? That's where my my mind goes. For any Arrested Development fans out there, Joe Bluth and um, his dead dove in the freezer, I think. Uh, We have a picture of that. Yeah, dead dove, do not eat. Um, so that's what, that's what I think of. Or at weddings, you can see kind of there's a, um, uh, written on that picture, it says Wings of Love. So that's a company that you can rent if you want to have doves released at your nuptials. But even in our 2014 context, the role of a dove is to draw attention to something else, to someone else. A dove is a animal who makes soft cooing sounds. It doesn't draw a bunch of attention to itself. And there's a reason that it's a dove that alights on Jesus, because it's drawing attention to Jesus. To demonstrate what I mean, what I, what I mean by this, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers. So who wants to play God tonight? Anybody want to play God? You don't have to do anything elaborate. I thought a lot of people would be like, yes, I would like to be God. I'm used to it. All right, you want to be God? Great, come on up here. And then, um, yeah, I need someone to be Jesus. Is there anybody willing to be Jesus? I mean, he was handsome, humble. Okay, great. All right, so I'm sure you're not used to being the son of God or the God in your normal life, but if you could stand over here. All right, so we, I'm the Holy Spirit, so move up a little bit, and you move back a little. I'm trying to make a triangle, and it's really hard for some reason. All right, so we're a triangle. We have Jesus, the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit, and we have God here. 
And you can see in, in this, we have, we have perfect community. We could, we could trade places and we'd have the same kind of equal representation with one another. And there's, and there's perfect love here. Love you guys. Love you. Um, in our community, we have perfect love. But if we were to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, it would actually look like this. Right? This is Jesus the Son. All the Holy Spirit is doing is pointing to Jesus. The Holy Spirit should have like a neon sign with a giant arrow blinking, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. You guys can sit down. Yes, thank you. Very reverent representation of... Um, so the role of the Holy Spirit is always to point is always the point to Jesus. And the same can be true of, the same can be true of God. Um, at Jesus' baptism, God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he doesn't say, but don't forget about me. I know you're enamored with his long hair and his carpentry skills, but listen to me too. No, God says, this is Jesus. The Father and the Spirit want us to be just as in love with Jesus as they are. And they graciously and faithfully point to Jesus. Simply put, the work of the Holy Spirit is the honoring of Jesus Christ. It's not to make us have an emotional experience. It's not to make us feel something when we sing worship songs. It's not to make us speak in tongues. It's not just to convict us of our sins. The opposite is true as well. Just because you don't feel something doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not present in that place or that experience. When a person or a church is thoughtfully and biblically pointing to the the teachings and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we can be certain the Holy Spirit is in that place. If the Holy Spirit doesn't center on itself, and neither should we. Let's see what Jesus says about it. Um, in the book of John, there's several places. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the advocate, the Holy Spirit, it's a synonym. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the advocate comes, he will testify about me. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin because people do not believe in me. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus is telling us the Holy Spirit is to point you back to me. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit is, appears in a lot of different places in Scripture, and I think because of that, that there's these instances of these really powerful, like, blow-you-over experiences of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of them in Scripture, and so people read those and they think, oh, if, we, if we're the Holy Spirit's going to be present in a place, then, then we need to not even be able to explain what happened to us, right? So we're going to take a look at one of those um, in Acts chapter 2. That's the one that people point to most frequently. Um, so in Acts chapter 1, actually we're going to start in Acts chapter 1 at verse 6. Um, and this is right after the resurrection, 
right after the resurrection, Jesus appears to all his believers. And here's what he says. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is what's known as the ascension when Jesus goes up to heaven after the resurrection. Um, and he says here again, the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you're going to be my witnesses. That's what's going to happen. And not long after that, they're all gathered on a Jewish feast day called Pentecost. And Pentecost commemorates the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai to the Jewish people, um, which is interesting when you think about they received the law on this day, and now they're going to be receiving the Holy Spirit on this day as well. Um, so take a look at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then it lists all the languages. We'll skip down to um, second half of verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Right, whenever we can't explain something, oh, they're drunk, whatever. Um, <laughs> Then Peter stood up with the eleven, so the disciples. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So this is a pro one of the last prophecies given in the Old Testament to the prophet Joel. And it's about what's going to happen in the world when God redeems the world to himself. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Ladies. All the ladies, this passage of scripture tells us not only that you have something to offer the kingdom of heaven, you have something to say, right? Your sons and daughters, both men and women. All right, anyways, that's a tangent. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is right after the resurrection. This is kind of a crazy story, right? They saw, they saw fire um, and they were speaking in actual languages other people could understand. So the Holy Spirit is coming upon Jesus' disciples in a way that the Holy Spirit hadn't been experienced up to this point. 
until Jesus' death and resurrection. And this is a new experience. And Jesus said in John, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to remember me. It's going to give you the power to remember what I have done and tell others about what I have done. My point is nowhere in this passage do we get the impression this is how the Holy Spirit is going to appear to God's people now and forevermore. It doesn't say that anywhere. The Holy Spirit could appear this way, but it's not our work to make it happen. This is a very specific circumstance for the time and place that they found themselves in. It's not a checklist that we're supposed to follow to bring the Holy Spirit into our midst. And a couple things to point out in verse 2. I don't know if you noticed this, but in verse 2, it said, suddenly, right, from heaven. So it was totally unexpected. And Luke actually says they were all sitting around. He could have said they were praying or they were worshiping, they were seeking. They weren't. They were just sitting around. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit appears in their midst, right? So they, they didn't do anything to conjure the Holy Spirit besides be present with one another. The most significant part of this moment, I think, is not that the Holy Spirit was present like wind and tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit was available to everyone. There were no conditions. It was not selective. Everyone who had faith in Jesus had the Holy Spirit inside of them. People outside heard the gospel proclaimed, no matter what their race, their ethnicity, their language, their creed. No longer were God's promises only for the small group of Jewish people who personally knew Jesus. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, all the people of the earth were going to know the promises of Jesus. And we know this happened because that's what the New Testament is about. The result of this experience, bringing the gospel to the nations, is way more exciting than what happened in that room. I have a couple of my own um, spiritual, some of the more kind of profound spiritual experiences I've had that I'm, I want to um, tell you about. One of them was I lived in Africa for a little while, and um, the women that I worked with were single, single mothers, and once a week we would have like a 24-hour prayer vigil. And during that night, there was a lot of singing and dancing and laughing and screaming and dancing. And yes, I have moves, you guys. So don't think that I don't. So it was like I would be sweating. I mean, it was like a super cardio workout every time. Um, every 24 hours, I'd be so dehydrated from the, the craziness of it. And they were singing in Swahili, this language I didn't really understand. But it didn't matter because that experience, being with those women, um, Worshiping God together, I was, I was in awe of Jesus. I was pointed to Jesus in that experience. And then a few years ago, I went on a silent retreat. Yeah, 72 hours, three days, no talking, complete silence. And I was with a bunch of other people, and the only people that were speaking were the retreat facilitators who were talking to us. Um, no phones, no nothing, just total quiet. You guys are like, I can't. Even, right? I mean, it was just, that seems, and it was a pretty insane experience. It was quiet, stillness, no dancing. It wasn't emotional, but it was one of the most memorable, profound experiences that I've had with Jesus. 
Was my experience in Africa more exciting? Yeah. Was it more emotional? Definitely. Was it more filled with the Holy Spirit? No way. Because the result of both of those experiences was desiring to serve Jesus more. Desiring to know Jesus more. And and that's the job, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. What people point to as proof for presence or lack of presence of the Holy Spirit, unless Jesus is absent, then yes, the Holy Spirit's probably not present. What they're pointing out is actually personal preference, personality type. Do you like it loud and rambunctious and a lot of noise and movement? Or do you like it quiet? Do you like stillness? Are you exuberant? Are you kind of an emotional person? Do you like expressing yourself with your whole body? Or are you stoic? Are you still? Are you somewhere in between all of that? The Holy Spirit can be present in loud movement, emotion-filled worship services at a charismatic church. But the Holy Spirit can be just as present in a quiet, still, contemplative worship service like what you would get at a Quaker church. Because both of these services, both of these spiritual experiences are pointing us to Jesus. If you're going to tell me that one church is more filled with the Spirit because of the way that they do worship than another, I'm going to argue that is not the witness of the Holy Spirit we have in the New Testament. One of my favorite theologians, Dale Bruner, he's a writer who's always pointing me to Jesus. He quoted a mentor of his when he asked him about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what he wrote. I have become convinced that those persons who are most filled with the Holy Spirit are those who are least conscious of it. Those who are most filled with the Holy Spirit are those who aren't even aware of it. All they know is that they wish to serve Jesus Christ and they feel they are unprofitable servants. If you and I are seriously discontented with our faith and our obedience and we long to be better, then we're not lacking the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. So many of you are anxious about getting things right in order for the Holy Spirit to be present in your life, but making a decision to follow Jesus that is when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't go away. You don't have to conjure it back again. Simply wanting to serve Christ tells you you're filled with the Spirit. And if you're anything like me, this is good news. This is great news. Because my sense of self as a Christian is one of great inadequacy. You guys, what a relief. That it's not necessary for us to glow in the dark or be radiant with victory or speak in foreign tongues or be overwhelmed with joy all the time in order to be God's servants and experiencing, even when we don't feel it, even when we're not moved, we're actually still experiencing the power of God's spirit in us. Jesus said it best in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will be filled with the Spirit because they're going to return to Jesus over and over and over. Many of us are looking for a power we already have. We're searching for something God has already placed within us. All you need is faith. 
There's no searching we need to do, no looking ahead for certain steps, no checklists we have to decode and figure out. There is only looking back at the gifts that we've already been given, remembering what happened at that moment when we said, yes, I want to follow Jesus and put your trust, put your life in his hands. I hope you see this as awesome news. I know that I do. One of our great hopes in Newman is that you would be convinced that the love of God, that the grace of Jesus Christ and the power and peace of the Holy Spirit is in you. Because the work of the Holy Spirit simply points us to Jesus. To thrill us with Christ, to in infect us with enthusiasm for all that Christ can do to change this world, to renew institutions, to salvage desperate, broken lives. Do you believe the power of the Holy Spirit is with you? Do you believe the Holy Spirit is in you? It's not going away, but it's going to point you to Jesus again and again and again.